Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series by P.H. Thompson. This is Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. God is the hero of the story. Moses had just complained to God because although he had done as God ordered and relayed his message to Pharaoh, it was rejected. Pharaoh increased the workload on the Israelite slaves, expecting them to make bricks without straw and still maintain their earlier quotas. Then the Israelites blamed Moses and Aaron for bringing this added trouble into their lives. So Moses took their complaints to God and added some of his own. God sent him, but it had only brought more trouble. He wanted to know why, and then he added that God hadn't begun to rescue his people at all. At least that's what Moses thought. So God responds to him with more details about his plan and how it will be accomplished. The stage is set. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. After God is finished with him, he will not only let them go, but he will drive them out of his country. He reminds Moses of his covenant name, the Lord, or Yahweh. He links back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his covenant with them. This covenant included the land of Canaan, where the patriarchs lived as foreigners. Now their descendants were foreigners in Egypt. It was time to go to the land of promise. This could only mean they had to leave Egypt. God could have had them remain in Canaan and multiply and prosper. Instead, he took them into Egypt for 400 years, multiplied them there in spite of hardship, so that they numbered around 2 million people, and now planned to bring them out of, from one nation into another. Moses would remind them later about this extraordinarily unique event. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire, as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation, by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? Deuteronomy 4.32-34 He would do it spectacularly, so that they and the nations around them would never forget it. This was a nation that had God's special attention. He also reminded them that he has heard the groaning of the Israelites in their enslavement, and he has remembered his covenant. He hasn't forgotten it. He just means he is now planning to fulfill it. Then he gives them seven I will promises and three I am statements that should leave no doubt that he will accomplish what he has purposed. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. He brackets it with the declaration of his name, which tells them all that, that they need to know about his character. He is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises, always. 
He is unchanged and unchangeable in his nature and his promises. There will be no doubt that God is the hero of this story, not Moses. Part of that promise is relationship. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. That is the best part. It's about the giver, not the gifts. There are many reasons why he is redeeming Israel from slavery and why he is doing it in such a dramatic fashion. This is the first. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He wants the Israelites to know for certain that he is their God. Verses 9-12 through 12, The news is too good to be true. These words may have lifted Moses' spirits enough to try again. So he returns to the disheartened Israelites and tells them what God has said. But they couldn't see past their suffering to believe it could be true. They heard it and believed it before, but instead of improving their situation as they'd hoped, it got worse. They were discouraged about their situation and their labor was so harsh that all they could think about was how they were going to make bricks without straw or face more beatings. Often when we are so downhearted, we cannot see the rainbow in the storm clouds. The hymn, O Love That Wilt Not Let Me Go, by George Matheson, has a verse that speaks of hope. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. Verses 10 through 12, sixth protest by Moses. Pharaoh won't believe since Israel didn't. Regardless of the response of the Israelites, Moses still has his mandate. So God reminds him, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. You'd think that after his earlier five protests and God's anger, he would have been done with them and just obey. But the Israelites aren't the only people who are discouraged. Moses is as well, and feels especially aware of his lack of oratory skills. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? His complaint is from lesser to greater. If the Israelites, who will benefit the most from this good news, refuse to believe it, why would Pharaoh, their powerful enemy, even give him an audience, since Moses doesn't feel he is very persuasive with his words? Verses 13 through 27, Family Record of Moses and Aaron Then, in a book where family lineage is important for their future, Moses clarifies his family lineage. It is not an exhaustive lineage. Only the descendants of three out of the 512 tribes are listed, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, three sons of Leah. They are recorded because these three were known for flagrant sins, Reuben for, uh, for adultery, Simeon and Levi for murder of an entire town of men. This is to show that God chooses individuals because of grace, not stellar family ties. Incidentally, it mentions the lifespan of Levi, something that we're not told of in the book of Genesis. He lived to the age of 137. He had three sons, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. From these three tribes, we will later have the divisions of the Levites. From the family of Koath, we have Moses' father, Amram. They were still living long at this point. Koath lived 133 years. Amram married his father's sister, Jacobet. This is the first we hear the names of his parents. She was also a Levite. Uh, we saw this in chapter 2, verse 1. Only their sons are listed, Aaron and Moses, as is common in genealogical lists. 
but we know they had an older sister named Miriam. Amram lived 137 years, so he may have been alive when Moses returned to Egypt, and he could have been a part of the Exodus generation. Then Aaron's family is listed, his wife Elisheba, who was the daughter of Aminadab and sister of Nashon. She bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. We'll hear more about them in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then Eleazar's son had a son named Phinehas, who will be a priest. The genealogy of Moses was bracketed by a description of what he did. We're told it was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, this same Moses and Aaron. Again, it was repeated three times for emphasis, in case there is some other Moses and Aaron who want to take the credit. It's these two from this particular family. It's also interesting that God talks of bringing them out of Egypt by their divisions, uh, or in other versions, by their armies. At this point, these are not trained soldiers, but slaves. They were slaves, and their parents were slaves. Yet God sees them as his soldiers. They were not Pharaoh's servants to command, but God's. They were organized by divisions, tribes, and God would use them as his military instrument against the Canaanites. Verses 28-30 through 30, Repetition of Sixth Protest Moses is again told to go to Pharaoh and tell him everything God has told him to say. But Moses repeats his earlier fourth complaint that Pharaoh won't listen to him because he is not eloquent. It's one thing to be humbled by our weakness, but it shouldn't discourage us to the point of inaction and outright disobedience. The authority of God to commission and empower us is enough to silence any of our objections and propel us to obedience without grumbling or complaining. Philippians 2.14. Matthew Henry says, We can never trust ourselves too little or our God too much. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or the gospel do we find in this chapter? Just as God redeemed Israel for the purpose of worship, service, relationship with him, and a desire to see his glory, so Jesus saves us for the same reasons. Redemption requires a faithful prophet to speak for God, a righteous priest to sacrifice and intercede, and a powerful king to deliver the enslaved. Moses and Aaron were faithful, but inadequate. Only Jesus fulfills all the qualifications perfectly. Moses was a prophet, deliverer, and lawgiver. Aaron was a priest raised up from among the people of Israel. Christ was also raised up from the people of Israel to fulfill all these roles. Moses felt inadequate for the task, but God would give him the words to speak. So we are inadequate and unprofitable servants, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, for it is God who works in us to enable us to do good and to give us the words to speak. Just hearing that we can be set free doesn't mean it has happened yet. We need to take the journey of faith. Just as the Israelites were seen by God as his army, so the church is viewed that way, and believers as soldiers. Keep listening for Exodus chapter 7. May God bless the study of his word.